0: Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. If you have your Bibles, why don't you go with me? Uh, first, go with me over to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. I'm not sure if they have this on the screen or not. I added it in here. Um, but, you know, we are in this 21 days of prayer and fasting. And this was the scripture that we felt like God was speaking to us as a community. It's this. If my people. Somebody say If. If my people... Gosh, you sound strong today. you like with me. You're engaged. That means I'm going to preach really good, guys. You just need to know that. Like, the louder you shout me down, I'm going to preach faster and better and get you to your restaurant, and it's going to be a great day. Wait, we're fasting. You can't go to a restaurant. You're going to go to your prayer closet and pray. Okay, no. We're going to, with, with some... Never mind. Okay, here we go. St. Uh, Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves... And pray. Notice there's two ways that you can be humbled. Either you can humble yourself or God can humble you. Um, If they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal, heal their land. Uh, I love this passage of scripture because I love that very first uh, word there. If, and God says, if you'll do this, if you'll seek me, if you'll pursue me, if you'll be relentless in coming after me, he says, here's what I'm going to do. He like, man, I, I'm going to hear the, every prayer that you pray. I'm going to hear those prayers. I'm going to respond to those prayers. I'm going to bring restoration. I'm going to rebuild your city. I'm going to rebuild your life. That's God's promise. And I felt like not only was it God's promise for Israel, it's our promise today. It's a promise that we can hold on to by faith. And so I'm just going to encourage you again. I said it last Sunday. I'm going to say it again. I want to encourage you during this 21 days of prayer and fasting. Let's seek God, church. Let's seek him like we never have before. Let's pursue him in prayer and worship and fasting. Maybe it's in the morning, waking up a little bit earlier in the morning. Maybe instead of doing your normal lunchtime where you go out to eat or hang with friends. uh, Why don't you take that time and listen to some worship and and meditate on some scriptures and, and listen to some podcasts. And let's just pursue Jesus with all of our heart. And I believe that what happens in these seasons, we do this every January and every August. This literally, it sets like a trajectory for your year. And I'm telling you, I've been doing this for almost 20 years of my life, and it truly is a difference maker. And um, and I just wanna encourage you, if you've never fasted before, That's all right. Listen, go to our website, sozo.co, and somewhere on there, there's some stuff about fasting, okay? And it'll instruct you on different ways that you can fast. Sometimes people like to do this, no sweets, right? Right, You just cut out sweets. And sometimes people say, no sweets, no tweets. You cut out social media. No sweets, no tweets, no meats. You cut out meat. Whatever you want it to be, you don't even have to rhyme. I just like to rhyme, okay? I miss my calling. I should have been a rapper. Anyway... (laughs) Uh, We're in the collection of talks. Uh, I'm going to jump into this. We're in a collection of talks called Pause. Pause. Last week we talked about pausing, pushing pause to pray. And uh, if you weren't here for that, go to our podcast Uh, Sunday. It was really, really, I feel like God spoke to us. Uh, I also recorded a a short podcast uh, this past Monday on, on a topic that really helps with, with having a path to prayer and a, a guideline for prayer, a model for prayer. And so check that out when you get a chance. And this week, I'm gonna, I'm gonna post something tomorrow and then a few other ones, hopefully this week as well, uh, just as a resource to you. So make sure you check that out. But last week we talked about pausing, pushing pause to pray. Uh, as, as we said earlier, I think it was maybe Elton that said that life can get a little crazy and hectic and distracted and demanding. And what we have to learn to do as followers of Jesus is we have to learn not to live our life by what's urgent, but we must live our life according to what's important. And what's important is pushing pause to connect with our heavenly father, pushing pause to invite the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so last week we talked about pushing pause for prayer, but I began to pray and think about um, my own spiritual journey over the last 20 years. I remember when I first gave my life to Jesus, I uh, I went to my youth pastor and Pastor Mike Heyman. And I said, Pastor Mike, I I deeply desire, I deeply desire to follow Jesus. And I told him, I said, I've tried following Jesus before. Uh, my parents were pastors, so I grew up in church, but I, I wasn't really a follower of Jesus. And so I told Mike, I said, Mike, I, I, I don't know, like, I know religion. I, I, know, I, I know all that. So I know rules, do's and don'ts. I know the moral co- code of scripture. But Mike, can you teach me how do I follow Jesus. And I remember the first thing he said is, he goes, I'm going to give you four practices, four disciplines that I feel like will be a good foundation and a baseline for you. And we're going to build upon this. The first one he said is you need to make sure that you're devoted to surrounding yourself with positive influences, people that are going in the same direction towards Jesus and uh, and put those people around you. Uh, Right voices, right choices, bad voices, bad choices. That's what he told me. Surround yourself with the right people that love Jesus. He said, now you're still going to have to work with people that don't know Jesus, but God's called you to be a light there. But you need to make sure that the people you're running with day in and day out, they're followers of Jesus, because there will come a day when you struggle and you need those people around you that can be strong in your struggle. So surround yourself with the right people. Number one. Number two, he said this, he says, plant your life in the local church." He said, you've got to plant your life. The Bible says in Psalms, it says those who are planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish. They will grow. They will be transformed. They will produce fruit in their life. And so he looked at me and said, Jason, you will never be able to follow Jesus isolated on your own. You, you have to be connected to the local church. Plant your life into the house of God. The third thing that he told me was prayer. You've got to learn the discipline and the practice of prayer. You've got to learn how to have a conversation with God. And then the last one is this. He said, now Jason, this one may be one of the most important because it actually gives instruction for the first three. Is this, is you have to learn how to devote yourself to the reading and the study of scripture. He said, you have to get this practice of spending time, pushing pause and spending time in God's word, because it's God's word that is literally, it's going, to, it's going to reveal Jesus to you. It's God's word that's going to be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. It's God's word that's going to bring conviction where there needs to be conviction. Direction where there needs to be direction. It's his word that's going to bring comfort whenever you're broken. It's his word that's going to bring life. When you feel like you're dying, he goes, you got to get God's word on the inside of you. And early on, when I was 18 years old, I made a decision. I will devote myself to studying the Word of God. I will give myself to this. This was before I, I knew I was called to be a pastor. I just knew I was called to be a follower. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to have a discipline of spending time in God's Word. Uh, let me ask you this question. How many of you in here, uh, you still, you, you're, you're kind of old school. You still, you use a real Bible. You know, not one of those. Come on. Come, let me see. If you got your Bibles, hold them up in the air really quick. Let me see. Come on. If you got your Bible, wave it in the air like you just don't care. I heard a song the other day that said, I like big Bibles, and I cannot lie. It was like, what is going on? It's so weird. Um, I'm old school. I still, you know, I, in this age of technology, I still like uh, my Bible. I actually have an NIV 1984 edition. I actually found this Bible. It was in the lost and found at a church, and I needed a Bible. This is a long time ago. I found it. No one ever claimed it. I kept it. I don't know whose word that is, but it was my benefit, their loss. Uh <laughs> And I still have it. I have it in my bag right now. And it's all underlined and, and it's and it's amazing. I told I told some friends one day, I said, you know what's amazing? Before I gave my life to Jesus, I I I, I you may not know this about me, but I used to I was developing my testimony and I did drugs, okay? And and I and I was telling these kids when I was speaking to this youth group, I said, I used to do drugs. I mean, I, I did really bad drugs. I used to get high. And, and I said, now I still get high. Line upon line, precept upon precept. Greater is he that in me than he that in me. What? What? Stop it. Stop it, people. You're crazy. <clears throat> I better quit. But I love it. I love my Bible. The word Bible is, is, it's actually, it just means book. The Greek word biblios just means book. What sets the Bible apart from other books, because there are a lot of books in the world, what sets the Bible apart from other books, other biblios, is the word in front of it, holy. It's it's a holy book, the holy book. It's It's comprised of 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, The Old Testament is written in Hebrew, the New Testament written in in Greek. And you know, here's the thing many people believe different things about the Bible. People that you work with, people that you grew up with, people that are in your family. Some believe it's fiction, some believe it's just a collection of, of nice, inspiring stories. Some believe it's inspired by God, but but not really inerrant or infallible. Many people believe that it's not relevant or that it's just some antiquated piece of literature. And in this cultural moment that we find ourselves in, many people feel like we've moved beyond the scriptures. Some still believe, though. There's some that still believe that it is the word of God. That is his actual words, that men inspired by the Holy Spirit, they, they penned these miraculous words, and they still are true for today. And, and I just want to share with you what our statement of faith is uh, regarding the scriptures, and they're going to put it on the screen for you. In case you were wondering what we feel about scriptures, is this, is the Holy Bible, containing the Old and the New Testament, is the only infallible, inspired, and inerrant word of God. It alone is the ultimate, final, and eternal authority and source of all doctrine, instruction, correction, and reproof. It cannot be added to, subtracted from, or superseded in any regard. It contains all that is needed for guidance and godliness and practical Christian conduct. I think they have some scripture there. There you go. You can clap your hands for that. Um, we 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 do not bend God's word to fit our preference. We bend our preference to fit God's word. We're a church that we teach and preach unapologetically the word of God. When we get up here and talk, when I get up here and speak, I'm not sharing just some ideas that I had, you know, last week that I thought were cool. I'm doing my best to do what the scriptures say to to rightly divide the word of truth, to be good stewards of the word of God and to do my very best. I'm not perfect, I'm growing, but to do my very best just to take God's word and to to just do my best to share it with you. We believe in the word of God. Uh, Maybe you're here today and you just wonder, like, how do we know that it's true? Listen, I don't have enough time to go into apologetics regarding the the infallibility of scripture and all those things. But they're going to put this on the screen. If you're one of those kind of heady types and you're just kind of wondering right now and you just kind of you want more proof. There's two great resources, one by a guy named Josh McDowell called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Uh, This guy is way smarter than me. I like to put the cookies on the bottom shelf, okay? I'm not that smart, okay? I I get it. It, Three people thought that was funny. Okay, awesome. Does that mean that everybody else agrees with that, that I'm not that smart? Jeez, church, where's your grace? Okay, Um, but evidence that demands a verdict is a really good resource. Um, He's got some really good things. Like, it's amazing, the stats, and when you look at, uh, it's just uh, unbelievable. Go and check it out. The other one is a guy named Ravi Zacharias. Um, he's one of the leading apologists in, uh, in the world, really. Uh, and you can go to his website, rzim.org, and he has some great resources on there. But I have people ask me all the time, Jason, what about, what about the Old Testament, though? Like, it's hard to reconcile the, the New Testament God of love with this Old Testament God of, like, wrath. It's just, it just hard to reconcile those two things. And so people ask me that. All the time. Now, I don't know all the nuances to be able to totally unpack. Unpack this idea of the New Testament, Old Testament being synced up together. Some people say that the Old Testament is the New Testament um, concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. I've heard that before. But here's one thing that I do know. Here's why I still believe that the Old Testament is for us today. Though we live in a new covenant under a new period of grace, and though I love reading the Gospels, here's what I know about Jesus. If you go and you look in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus quoted out of two-thirds of the Old Testament books in his teachings. And so listen to me. So here's that one thing is kind of the kingpin for me when it comes to believing that the Old Testament is still good for us today and there's much to be learned, is if Jesus, in his ministry and in his teaching, he used two-thirds of the books from the Old Testament, then either one, we have to believe that if he believed that they were still good for the people he was teaching, then they have to still be good for us. But if they're not true and they were just some kind of literature for the Jewish people, then, then why was Jesus using them? Jesus would quote from the Old Testament and he would literally say that these were, you've heard it, heard it once said, or it is written, and he would quote from the Torah or he would quote from the prophets or from the Psalms. He really believed that those words in the Old Testament were the words of God the Father. And so, yeah, it's great. So you're like, do we clap there? We're going to do a class after church, and we're going to teach people when to say amen, how to clap. There's always that awkward person that claps in the wrong moment, like, people are dying all over the place. Ah, it's like, don't. That's just awkward. It's weird. Say amen. when yeah, It's just, you know, so there's appropriate places, tasteful places. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. I love this. Paul tells young Timothy, he's training this guy to be a pastor, and he says this. All scripture, every scripture, all scripture has been written by the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. Here's something you need need to take note of. He says, all scripture, that's Old Testament and New Testament, all scripture has been, been, it's been written by the Holy Spirit. Notice this, out of 66 books of the Bible, there's 40 authors, or sorry, there's 40 people that have written uh, down the accounts that the Holy Spirit gave them, but there's only one author, the Holy Spirit. God is the one author, but the other people were just used by God to write. He says it's written by the Holy Spirit. And so why should we? Why should we read God's word? He goes on to tell Timothy, here's why every scripture is is written by the Holy Spirit and is useful, why? Why? it will empower you he goes on in verse i think it's 17 it will empower you by its instruction and correction giving you the strength how many need strength today for 2019 i need strength in my life he says it will give you strength to take the right direction and lead you deeper into the path of godliness what is the path of godliness it's living a life that honors god like like the scriptures they're useful and, they're, and it's of our benefit if we can apply the scriptures and know the scriptures. It will direct us and guide us so that we can live the type of lives that God created us to live. And he goes on, he says this in verse 17. Then you will be God's servant, fully mature, fully mature and perfectly prepared to fulfill any assignment that God gives you. Listen to me, your disciplines, or let me say it like this, your devotion Listen, your devotion will determine your destiny. You may have an amazing assignment from heaven to do great things with your life, but I would submit to you that it is impossible to fulfill your calling apart from scripture. You need God's word to equip you. It's not just people that are gonna equip you. It's the word of God that's gonna equip you and prepare you for every single assignment that God gives you to do on this earth. It's his word. We need his word. Paul tells Timothy, it's gonna help you to live a godly life. That's going to help you with your assignment. I love what Jesus once said um, about the importance of the word of God. He's in a 40 day fast. Remember this? He's in a 40 day fast. He's in the desert and uh, he's, he's just drinking, I guess he's drinking water. He's just, I don't know. He's just, he's nothing. I mean, he's just like there. And I can't imagine that. Like we're doing a fast right now. I'm I'm like in the middle, like I only eat a little bit in the middle of the day. And I feel like God's trying to take my life. Okay. I feel like I'm about to die. And Jesus is, like, not eating anything, and he's in a desert. He's in this wilderness. And so the enemy comes to him in his hunger and in his weakness. And he comes to him, and he begins to tempt him. It's so interesting, the first thing that the enemy tempts him with. You know what it was with? Bread. What a temptation. Isn't that a temptation that we have? Gluten. is bread. It's, like, still the same thing. The devil knows our weakness. He's like, I know how to get Jesus. Bread. A loaf of Bread. He comes to him and he tries to tempt me and says this, just order these stones to be turned into loaves of bread if you really are the son of God. That's what the devil said to him. So Jesus answered, look at his response. The scriptures say, some of your translations say, it is written, right? The scriptures say, bread alone will not satisfy. But true life is found in every word which constantly goes forth from God's mouth. He's like, Here's what he's saying. He's like, in the same way, physically, you need bread to survive. I believe Jesus is saying spiritually, there's no way you're going to be able to survive unless you get God's word. You have to have it. He's like, this is how we, we survive. This is how we thrive. This is how we're sustained. He was like, so I don't need that as long as I have a word from heaven. I love that. He's actually quoting from Deuteronomy chapter eight. I don't have time to read it, but when you get a chance, read it. God was teaching his people in the Old Testament. They're in, again, the number 40 is a number for testing. So Jesus was 40 days in the wilderness, but the people of God were 40 years in the wilderness. And God goes, he says, I wanna teach them how to rely on me and to rely on my word. And so they go without food. And then he begins to to provide for them what's called manna, which simply means we don't know, right? They didn't know what it was. It was bread. And God begins to provide for them. And it says this. I'll just read one verse for you. Why did God do that? It seems a little bit cruel that he's making them go without to rely on him so that he can teach them something that they need to know, which is to rely on him. Look, yes, he said he humbled you. By letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it, look at this, to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God uses food, something physical, to teach a spiritual principle to his people to rely on him. Do you know why we fast? Here's why we're in a season of fasting right now. It's not so that you can lose weight, although that would be a great benefit. We are fasting to say this, God, I want you to teach me more than, more than I've ever understood before. Give me a fresh revelation that I need you That, God, I'm relying on you. I'm dependent upon you. And, God, I, I need a word from you more than I even need bread. I need a word from you more than I need anything else, more than I need food. God, I need a word from heaven. Could it be that whenever Jesus prayed the Lord's Prayer, listen to this, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But look, back up. Go all the way to the beginning where he says this. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, we all know that that's like a, it sounds like a material like provision statement, like a request, a petition for God to, to take care of our material needs. But could it be if all throughout scripture, the word of God is referred to as bread? When Jesus says, will you pray like this? Give us today our daily bread, daily bread. Could it be that Jesus is teaching us to pray and say, God, will you give us a daily word? Will you give me a word for today? I need a word from you today. I tell you what. Every morning, I do my best to do it. I'm not the best. Some days, I have a crazy morning. I oversleep, or I do, you know, I have crazy demands. But I do my best to get into God's word and say, "God, give me today my daily bread." I, I need a word from you, God. Could it be that He's saying that? I think when you read over and over again all the different places where where the word of God is referred to as food, like milk or water or bread all the, like honey, it's like all these different things. It's as if, it's as if scripture's trying to teach us that we cannot make it spiritually. We cannot make it spiritually without learning how to spend time pushing pause in getting in God's word. Now, here's the thing. This is not a guilt trip sermon. I I don't want to make you feel guilty. I'm not going to, you know, make you raise your hand if you haven't been reading your Bible and then slap you on your hand and tell you you bad, bad Christian you. I'm not going to do that at all. My, my, honest and earnest hope and desire is that today the Holy Spirit would sort of wet your appetite a little bit and stir up a little hunger. You know, the Bible says in Psalms that, I think it was David, he said, your word is like honey on my lips. Sweet. It's like, what, what is that? Many, many of the historians tell, and theologians tell us that these, these Jewish women Back in the Old Testament times, when they had their their babies, they would nurse their babies. But there are many times they would read the Torah or they would recite the Torah, which is the Old Testament word of God scriptures. And when they would read it out loud over their child, they would they would take their finger and touch honey and rub it over their baby's lips. So that their baby would begin to eventually associate sweetness, the sweetness of honey with the word of God. My prayer today is that you just get a little little honey. So I love the clap breaks. It gives me a chance to take a sip of water. It's so good. So the question is, how can we develop a doable and sustainable discipline or practice of feeding on the word of God, spending time in his word because it's his word that's going to cause us to flourish in 2019? Listen, I'm I'm talking to you about this for a few months, not so that you can tick off the daily spiritual to-do list. It's not the goal. Not so that we can feel real pious and spiritual around our immoral, unreligious friends. Not so that we can earn God's love or approval. Do you know that if you do your, do your daily devotions every single day, God will not love you anymore? He will not. I'm teaching this to you not so that you can, you know, we can build up our spiritual equity in order uh, so that we can ask God for some bigger, better blessings in our life. Not so that we can cancel out our bad habits by doing this good habit. This point, or the point, is simply to nourish our souls so that we are healthy and strong and growing Christians, followers of Jesus. God's word is referred to, as I said earlier, like milk, water, bread, meat, and honey, nourishment for our souls, which leads me to my first point. Here's the thing. Where does it start at? How do we do this? What is the starting point? It all starts with a commitment to grow. It, it, this all starts with a commitment to grow. Listen, we will never have a discipline or a practice of, of pushing pause for scripture without a desire to grow. It, it has to start there. I, I, I would even submit to you that God has to put that desire there. Like you can't conjure up the desire for God's word. But I believe that whenever a person truly has been regenerated or has become a true follower of Jesus, your desires begin to shift. You once desired just turning up at the club and then you desire to turn up at church. You once had a desire to just feed your flesh, and now you're getting these new desires to feed your spirit. You never liked worship. You thought those people were crazy. You thought those songs were terrible. You like Drake. (laughs) Now you like Hillsong who? I like that. Sozo worship? Who? Hey. Write something. Right? Your your desires, your your tastes start to change. Listen to me. We We don't create that. We don't manufacture that. That's a work of the spirit. That's one of the proofs that there has truly been a a salvation experience and a transformation, that your desires begin to shift and change. Now, 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 listen, you have to begin to feed your spirit and starve your flesh because whatever dog you feed is gonna win the fight. You have to begin to feed yourself, but it starts with a commitment to grow. I made a decision when I was 18 years old. It wasn't to get in ministry. It wasn't to start a church in San Francisco. My commitment was this. When I gave my life to Jesus, I said, I'm committed to grow. If that means me cutting off friends or family members, I'm growing in Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. If that means i got to cut this out of my life, I'm growing in Jesus. I made a decision. I would quit this job because it was tearing me down and it was pulling me back. And I'd get a job that was harder, making less money, because I'm committed to growing in Jesus. You will never, listen, you will never make a discipline or a practice Of spending time in God's word unless you first get that desire and fan that flame. God will put the desire in you. It'll be like a seed desire, but you have to cultivate it and nurture it. And it begins to grow. Listen, the more I read God's word, the more I love God's word. The more I'm disciplined in spending time in his word, the more I want it. Because it starts as a discipline, and then it becomes a desire, and then it becomes a delight. Literally, it doesn't start there. It starts as a, I need to go to the gym because it's January. You know that feeling before? You ever had that? You didn't desire to go back to SF Fitness or Orange Therapy or whatever it's called, Theory. And... <laughs> it feels like therapy. <laughs> What'd you do? You weren't like, I'm delighting in and in getting on a treadmill and running until I want to vomit. No. It was, a, it was a decision that I need this discipline in my life. And what I've discovered with working out with every with all those things that are hard on the front end, you make it a discipline and you're devoted to it, you're committed to it. All of a sudden, you start to desire to go to the gym. You start to desire to eat healthy. Literally, your habits, you, you form your habits, and your habits form you. And then it becomes this, this delight. You delight in the Lord, you delight in worship, you delight in prayer, you delight in reading God's word. But it starts with a commitment to grow. First Peter. Chapter 2 says it like this, in the same way that nursing infants cry for milk, you must intensely crave the pure spiritual milk of God's word. For this milk will cause you to grow into maturity, fully nourished and strong for life. Fully fully nourished and strong for life. Uh, Write this down. I can almost guarantee you this truth. Or this in, in prayer this morning. I can almost guarantee you this truth. You will only become like Jesus to the degree that you are committed to knowing and obeying his word. Amen. We cannot grow. We will never grow apart from spending time in God's word and letting his word. Listen, it's the only book that, that you don't not only read, it reads you. It transforms you through the power of the spirit, through the truth of God's word. It's like a mirror. We begin to see our flaws and our inadequacies, but it's also like a magnifying glass and we begin to see God's love and acceptance and grace towards us and his favor towards us. It's an unbelievable book. But listen, we will never grow in our knowledge of Jesus. We'll never grow in our love for Jesus apart from his word. Prayer is, listen, prayer is not enough. Prayer is not, church is not enough. We need prayer the word of God, and it causes us to grow. Listen, if you want to grow, you've got to eat. I think that's the point that some of these passages are trying to make. You've got to eat in the same way a baby has to be nursed with milk, and then they mature, and then they begin to have solid food. In that same maturation process, a baby would die if it did not have nourishment and food. It would, a baby would literally, my wife's pregnant. Listen, I know this, our grocery, but we had two boys. They eat like $1,000 a month. They eat so much food. They are literally eating us out of house and home. My dad used to say that. I was like, what does that even mean? I have the revelation now. I know what it means. They eat everything. Why? Because they're growing. And you need food to grow. You need the word of God if you're going to grow. Look at this, what it says. And this is strong. Don't get offended at me. Get offended at God, okay? (laughs) Hebrews 5. You have been believers. So long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. This is so strong. It's like a Holy Spirit backhand. You know what he's saying? Grow up. That's what he's saying. He's like, you, 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 you wonder why you're not growing. You wonder why not, you're not strong because you eat once a week. <laughs> Bow your heads. We just need to shut this down. Like, is this too much? I don't want you to feel beat down. I want you to feel encouraged. You know how sometimes work, I'm working out right now. So all my illustrations are going to be about working out, okay? My chest... <laughs> My chest In February, you don't have to deal with it anymore because I probably won't be working out again. But my chest and my, and my butt hurts so bad right now. It's painful. But you know what, you know what's funny about the gym? It's different from when you get like hurt or injured when you fall and you scrape your knee or you hurt, you bum yourself. The pain you get from the gym is that pain that feels good because you know it's making you better. That's my prayer, that if you ever feel a little pain when you're at church, it's because you know it's, this is to make me better. Let me keep going. Let me move on. He says in there, he's like, guys, you really at this point in your spiritual journey, like you got saved in 92, right? Back in 95, you prayed that prayer, walked the aisle, got the liquidate, you know, date with the water. You got baptized. Like at this point in your life, you actually should probably even be on the stage teaching. Like you should know my word at that point. But instead, you're still still in the bottle is what he's saying. Oh, it's such a strong, strong thing. I, I just, just, just receive this. We need to all grow up, myself included. How do we grow up? The word of God. We need to move from milk to meat. I love that. Here's the thing about it. He says that you're going to get strength. All throughout it, you see, it's going to make you stronger, stronger, stronger. The problem is, is I talked to a lot of Christians as a pastor, a lot of believers. People that I've pastored for 20 years, they, they come to me when they're struggling. Now, this isn't in every case. So hear me out. I'm not trying to be like a generalization, but probably eight times out of 10, people come to me when they're struggling and I'll begin to ask them certain questions. And almost, almost every time they're struggling with whatever situation, the situations are different. The storms are different, but the struggle is the same. And it's usually linked to this. They have no discipline and practice in their life of spending time in the word of God and it's the common thread I see. With, with I'm telling you, almost eight out of 10 people, I'll start asking questions like, what's God speaking to you? Tell me what your prayer life looks like. Tell me what reading scripture looks like. And, and almost every time it's like, oh, you know, I just, I've, been a lot, I've been really busy lately. I've been really distracted. You know, i got a lot on my plate, all these things. And I'm sitting there, I'm listening to them. I'm like, if you, if you, if you really, if you had God's word, you wouldn't need me. You wouldn't need this counseling session. Like you, you wouldn't need some of the things that you're, you're grasping to try to get help from. You wouldn't need, If you just had God's word, you would have these, I wrote these three things. You would have perspective, you'd have a promise, and you would have power. But because you don't have God's word and you're not being fed, you, you only have your limited perspective and not a divine perspective on your situation. And your perspective is defeating you. If you could get God's perspective, you would see that this problem is really not a problem. And, and a promise. Listen. A lot of times, I see people walking through a struggle, and they're walking through confusion, and they're walking through all these challenges. I'm like, Do you know that God's word actually speaks to that? There's actually there's a promise that you could hold on to, and it would give you hope. But you're wanting to give up because you have no hope, and you have no hope because you have no promise. And I'm I'm telling you, I see it in power. Listen, the Bible, it just, Hebrews 4, his word is, it's it's alive, it's active, it's powerful. You get God's word in you. Oh, I'm telling you, the power of God. Listen, the power of God is by the spirit of God, but also the word of God. The word of God gives you such strength and power, strength in the middle of struggle. Here's the second thing I want you to write down is this. We have to learn how to feed ourselves instead of just relying on others. These are just some raw, random notes that I wrote down. I literally changed this point earlier. This morning. I was praying. I felt like my other point just sounded like some cool alliteration that would help you absolutely none. This is not trying to sound clever or cool. This is just straight up like truth. We have to learn how to feed ourselves instead of just relying on other people. First Corinthians chapter three, verse two, he said, Paul says this, I fed you. You didn't feed yourself. I fed you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready for it. You know what he's speaking to? Their diet and the delivery. He's like, your diet is milk, though you need meat, though though you, you should be at the point where you should be getting meat, but you're still an infant, you're still a baby, and so your diet's off. And then the delivery system is this, is I'm still feeding you. I think all this speaks to the maturation process of we get to a point where we still come to church and pastors and teachers and prophets, they speak and they feed us, and I still get fed. Monday is my Sunday. I listen to two or three pastors every Monday, and I get fed, but let me tell you this. If I miss a Monday, I'm not missing a meal because I've learned how to feed myself. We have to get to the place where we move from milk to meat, something solid, more sustainable, more substance. Listen, and we also have to get to the place where we've learned to feed our self. I love it. Uh, Jennifer, I, I made, used to make fun of her about this. I promise not to do it with this third baby, but our first two kids, Jennifer, when, she, when they were infants and she would feed them after they went from nur- nursing and milk to some more solid foods, like that weird stuff in the can, little thing, it smells terrible, like smashed peas and carrots and oh, sardines and spam or whatever that is, disgusting. She would feed them and I would make fun of Jennifer because she was doing this. She was f- still feeding them, but at this point of solid food, she's still s- spoon in the mouth and she'd go... <laughs> Remember that, Jen? you go... I'm like I looked at her one day. I was like, "What are you doing?" She goes, "I'm just, you know." She laughed at and she was like, "I'm, I'm feeding them, but I mean, when they see my mouth, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching them. I'm teaching them how to open their mouth and feed." She, she was. She was feeding them, but there was this in-between stage where she was feeding them, but she was also teaching them how to open their mouth and feed themselves. So, and then we started putting the spoon in their, in their hand, and they got the spoon, and they're like, you know, it's f- sauce in their head and, and carrots up their nose. And just, it's a mess, right? You need to understand that, that I think that, that you've you got to get it, that there's a, there's a parallel physically and spiritually. That for some of you, you've never spent time, You've maybe you've never had anybody, you know, teach you. Maybe you've never had that before. It's our honor to get to hopefully teach you and share with you some principles of spending time in God's word. And I'll, I'll share some of that in our remaining time and then this week. But, but you need to know that at first, it may be a little messy. Like you spending time in God's word and reading it, you, you may like, okay, it's like Russian roulette. Like you just open your Bible up, we're starting there. Okay, Leviticus, wow. It may be a little messy at first. It's Okay. I remember I shared my devotions with a guy named Adam Burrow when I first gave my life to Jesus. I said, look what God spoke to me. I showed him. He goes, dude, that's actually, that's, that's heresy. That's not right. What you... But he was like, I'm proud of you for at least attempting. But that's, let me bring some clarity to that scripture, right? It may be a little messy at first, but there will come a day, like we, with our kids now. Now we're no longer, but now it's, it's, it's great. Nixon, he's still young, but he'll come, and come to me at the table and say, like, dad, look what I made for you. He's attempting to cook something. It's still disgusting, but he's attempting. <laughs> Liam, a little bit more progressed, and he can, he can make a few more things. But I long for the day whenever I'm going to sit in a recliner. Liam's going to be out there grilling. He's going to come in, have me a steak. It's gonna be a, It's part of the maturation process, but it does take time. I want to encourage somebody. I just sense this. Really, I sense the Holy Spirit saying, you've been discouraged because it's been a mess, and it hasn't worked. You're struggling to feed yourself, but you want to. You have the desire, don't give up. Don't give up. Let us help you. Get in a small group. Let us help you. We will teach you how to feed yourself. Let me keep going just to illustrate the point a little bit more about how we have to learn how to feed ourselves. Acts chapter 17, the Bereans. I've always loved this. It's a community of Jewish believers called the Bereans. It says, that night, the believers sent Paul um, and Silas off to the city of Berea, where they once again went into the synagogue. That was like a church. It says, they found that the Jews of Berea were of noble character and much more open-minded than those of the Thessalonians or in Thessalonica. They were hungry. Look at that. They were hungry. There was a deep desire, a longing, as some of you have here. There was a hunger to learn and eagerly receive the word. Now, look at this. Every day, every day, every day, every day, every single day, every day, they, not Paul and Silas, the Bereans, they opened the scriptures to search and examine them. Why? To verify that what Paul taught them was true. We have a growing culture within the church where people show up at churches all across the world, specifically in, in, in the West. Show up at church and they hear someone teach something and they never spend time in God's Word. And they could be hearing something that, that is off or, uh, or, or just heresy or whatever, but they never spend any time. And so they're just getting fed lies or propaganda. I want to encourage you the type of church, I want to have a Berean type church. Where you don't, listen, don't believe me. i give you permission. Don't believe anything I say. Go home and check it out for yourself. Search the scripture, examine, like, yeah, Jason, I disagree with And it's okay. You may disagree with me on some things. You don't have to agree with us to be with us. But I do desire for you to be mature enough to learn to feed yourself like the Bereans. Let's get practical for a moment. What's the translation you should read? Whichever one you can understand. I read N.V. 84 because I like the throwback. But also like the Passion Translation, New Living Translation, English Standard Version, the Message Translation. Sometimes I'll read that to kind of spice it up a little bit with Eugene Peterson. But listen, there's some translations that are word for word, some that are thought for thought. You don't have to read, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself. You don't have to go King James if you don't want to. But if you like it, more power to you. King Jimmy, let that just work for you, okay? Find a translation. I would recommend NIV or New Living Translation. New Living Translation is thought for thought. It's very palatable. It's easy to understand. NIV and ESV are very great. But listen, it's not like a, you got to read this or you, you, you're like off. I went to a seminary where they told us you had to read New American Standard Version or you were off. And I was like, you're off. You're crazy. I'm dropping out of this seminary because you're nuts. Okay? <laughs> Here's five essentials to feed yourself. Listen to me. Five essentials to feed yourself. Write this down or you can take a picture of the screen. Number one, time. Don't rush it, but set it. Put in your calendar. We talked about last week. If you do not set aside time, you'll never spend time in God's word. Put it in your calendar, just like you would a date night. Some of you, you know what I'm talking about when I say that. Date night. If if you, like, you know, mingling and meeting some people and some really beautiful young lady said, I'd love to go on a date with you, you wouldn't be like, okay, we'll just figure it out. No, you'd be like, let's lock that in right now. Let's lock it in right now. In Jesus' name. Right? Why? It's a priority to you. And you hungry. Oh, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. When you're hungry for Jesus, turn the corner. When you're hungry for Jesus, you'll make it a priority. You'll prioritize it. You'll put it in your calendar. You'll schedule it. Time. Me, I like first thing in the morning. I'm not a morning person. I'm an evening person. But what I found is, is if I prioritize it in the first morning, I give God my first and my best. God will bless the rest. Your time, number two, your place. I told you about the office. I use, my office, I used to do my devotions and read the scriptures in, in my vehicle after I dropped my son off at school. I no longer do that. Now I walk my kids to school. I drop them at school. I come back and uh, I go to my office. And it's a, it's a place where there's no one else there. There's no social media. I put my phone on airplane mode. No distractions. It's a distraction-free environment. It's the place. The third one is tools. Here's what I mean by that. <clears throat> First one is very important, coffee. You need coffee to connect with God. Gospel, okay. No, for me, I have the same thing every day. Coffee, I light a candle. It's an awesome candle. I have my Bible. I have a little worship playlist, and I have something to journal and write down things, and, uh, and I lose the phone. I get rid of the phone. If I have my phone in there, I put it on airplane mode, and I don't want to be a distraction, but I have my tools. Just like if you're going looking for treasure, you would have certain tools, right? You, you would have those things. You should have that. Strategy, I like, personally, I like this, two different things is I like the SOAP technique, scripture, observation, application, prayer. It's awesome. Um, Scripture, observation, application, prayer. I don't have the time to go into that today, but uh, I'll talk about it tomorrow on the podcast. Go to our podcast, and I'm going to explain the SOAP technique, scripture, observation, application, prayer. I like that strategy. Uh, Another strategy that I talked about last week is Lectio Divina. Uh, which simply means divine reading, you take scripture and you meditate on scripture, you contemplate that and you let it guide you and you, un- you begin to understand and unfold the word of God. The point I'm trying to make is have some kind of strategy. Don't just show up like, okay, God, uh, here, uh, Bible, boom. and just try. It's just, it's hard. It's very hard to do that. For some of you that may work. You like spontaneity, whatever. I, I like a plan. I am ADD, A through Z. I'm all of it. I need a plan. If you plan your work and you work your plan, your plan will work if it's a good plan. The last one is you need grace. Don't make this legalistic. That's not the point. Man, let it be life-giving. You know what I do sometimes? I'll read God's word in my devotion time and I'll get nothing out of it. You know what I'll write in my journal? I got nothing. (laughs) That's what I literally write. I write, I got nothing, so I guess you want to speak to me some other way today. When I was younger, when I first learned how to do my spiritual disciplines of reading God's word, I would would feel so terrible if I missed. I would begin to think, oh, man, God's not going to bless me because I missed. Listen, that is not how God works. We are his children. He loves us. He loves you. He just wants to be with you and spend time with you. You need time, a place, tools, strategy, and grace. Let me encourage you that, as I said earlier, it is an acquired taste. And you will acquire it if you make it a discipline first. I'll just give you this last, um, last little thought here. John chapter 5, verse 39, is a great passage of scripture because the Pharisees, the religious people of Jesus' day, they knew the word of God more than anybody else. Like they had memorized the Torah, many of them. Five, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah or the Torah, They memorized it. Like, I thought I was pretty good. Like, I can quote a few scriptures, like, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but the mighty in God for pulling down every stronghold, and everything that sets itself up against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. If we confess our sins, we're faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins. I I know some scriptures, but just because you know something doesn't mean you know something. Knowledge actually puffs up, the Bible says. The Bible says that God actually resists the proud. Religious people, they know a lot, but they don't do a lot. They're just like they—they pride themselves in Bible knowledge. I know people that man they could destroy me in an apologetics thing, but they don't have a spirit of Christ. There's no humility. There's no—it's not enough just to know things. You can miss the whole point. You know, you could do your daily devotions. You could read the Bible. You could study it, memorize it, and you could know it up and down, left and right, Genesis to Revelations. You could know all of it and miss the point. And Jesus, he he spoke to that. He said this, guys, to the Pharisees, you are busy analyzing the scriptures. You're busy frantically pouring over them in hopes of gaining eternal life. Everything you read points to me, Jesus said, yet you still refuse to come to me so I can give you the life you're looking for, eternal life. He's like, you're just pouring over the scriptures frantically. You're devoted, you're disciplined more than anybody else, but you're missing the point. All of the scriptures are about me. I love that. See, here's the third thing I was gonna tell you today, and we'll finish with this. The Bible is not about me, it's about Jesus. Here's how you and I need to approach the scriptures. We're not reading the scriptures. Remember the B I B L E, Bible, Bible basic, basic instructions before leaving earth. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Basic instructions. The Bible's a roadmap to success. No, it's not, it's a roadmap to Jesus. Genesis or Revelation, it's all about Jesus. There's two ways you can read your Bible. It's primarily about you or it's primarily about him. That's why we read the scriptures. Listen, is David and Goliath basically about you and how you can be like David and defeat giants? Or is it about Jesus, the one who defeated the ultimate giant called death? And because of his victory over death, we can face any giant. Who is the Bible really about? Think about this. That's the fundamental question. And when it happens, when you truly understand that it's not about you, it's about Jesus, it changes everything. You start to look for Jesus in all of scripture. Jesus is the true and better Adam, who passed the test in the garden, his garden, a much tougher garden, Gethsemane. Unlike Adam, Jesus was obedient in the garden and gave up his will, and his obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel, who through Innocently being slain, his blood, it cries out, not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave all the comforts of his home, heaven, and go into an unknown land to establish the family of God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who was not just offered up by his father on the Mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all. While God said to Abraham, now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from me. Listen, now we, because of Jesus, we can stand at the foot of the cross and say to God, now we know that you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from me. See, the Bible is not about you, it's about Jesus. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who serves at the right hand of the king and forgives those who have betrayed him and sold him and uses his power to save and deliver them. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between people and the Lord and mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job. He is the truly innocent sufferer who now intercedes for his friends. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone themselves to accomplish it. <laughs> Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one. Who, don't just, who didn't just risk his life, but he gave up his life. Who didn't just say, if I perish, I perish, but says, when I perish, I'll perish for them to save my people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought into a place of peace. He's the real Passover lamb. He's the true temple. He's the true prophet. He's the true priest. He's the true king. He's the true sacrifice. He's the true lamb. He's the true light. And he's the true bread. Listen, the Bible is not about you. It's about me. And if you want to get to know Jesus, you got to get in his word. You need his word in you. Because when His Word gets in you, it will transform and change you into the image of Jesus as you hear Him, as you see Him, and as you obey Him. Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.